Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Hear the words of Jesus. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of Christ. Let's pray a prayer of thanksgiving for this word. God, we thank you so much that you have given us your word, that you have revealed the truth about your mercy and kindness in that word. God, I pray that we would trust you without fail today because you've invited us to ask and to seek and to knock, and you've invited us to find and to receive. Oh God, we thank you so much for your mercy. I pray that we would enjoy it together today as we dive deeper into this passage of Scripture. It's for your name we pray. Amen. We have a tendency to keep rather long receipts, don't we? When someone wrongs us, it's, we're very, very slow to ever trust them again. It's easy to hold on to grudges forever. And maybe you're holding someone else at an arm's length because they've wronged you, they've abused your trust in the past today. Or maybe you've felt the coldness of being pushed away because you've abused someone else's trust. It can be hard to trust others, can't it? But in this passage of Scripture, we see a glorious message that our God can always be trusted because He never breaks our trust. He never abuses our trust. He can always be relied upon because he is always kind. He is always kind. And so in a world where trust is so easy to lose and trust is so often abused and broken, Jesus today is going to invite you to know the only one who will never let you down, the only supremely trustworthy one in the universe. And he is our God. He is unfailingly kind. He is unfailingly powerful. He is unfailingly good to you. He will withhold nothing good from you. We've spent the last several months studying Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes the true people of the true king. In other words, if you want to know what a follower of Jesus' life is really supposed to look like, read the Sermon on the Mount. 
And what do we see here in the Sermon on the Mount? We see that the people, the followers of Jesus, the true people of the true king, aren't just soldiers who mindlessly walk behind this king, but they, but, but they are recipients of a limitless kindness from the king. The true disciple enjoys blessings from an infinitely kind God. That's the main idea that I want you to take home today, that the true disciple of Jesus receives and enjoys blessings from an infinitely kind God. So if you've been following along over the last few weeks, then maybe you can spot the flow of the argument here. Jesus was talking about judging others, about determining whether or not they are trustworthy. And then he switched to judging self and determining whether or not there's hidden sin in our own hearts. And now he invites his listeners to judge God. But the difference between judging others and judging ourselves and judging God is that when we look at others, we will often be disappointed. When we look at ourselves, we will often be disappointed because there's a lot of sin and brokenness and sorrow in our own hearts. But when we look to God, we always judge him and find him faithful. We judge him, not sitting on a throne over him as if we could determine what's right or wrong. We judge him as thankful recipients of his grace. We rely upon him and we always find him faithful. And so today I want us to just sit in and remember and revel in the kindness of God. Two points for you today to take home. Number one, know God's kindness. And number two, show God's kindness. So first, know God's kindness. In verses 7 through 11, Jesus reveals to you that God is more kind than you could ever dare to imagine. Beyond your wildest dreams and most fantastic expectations, our God is kind. And now that's a huge statement, especially because I know that some of you are coming in here today with a lot of brokenness and a lot of sorrow and a lot of sin. And in light of all the brokenness in this world, can we really say that our God is always kind? Yes, friends, we can. And Jesus is going to give us good reason why. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So Jesus there, six times over, gives a command and describes the expected result. Action and result. Action and result. He says it three different ways, two times, for a total of six repetitions. If you were to say something to me six times, I would probably think it was important to you, right? And Jesus says this here six times over in slightly different ways to really show you how important this is for him, for you to know that our God really is kind. And he even guarantees success as we appeal to our God in prayer. It's important to keep in mind that the Sermon on the Mount is addressed to the disciples of Jesus. And so this is a promise for the true people of the true king. 
This is not God passing out a blank check to anyone who, who pretends to worship him. This is God promising his kindness to the people who are his. But why? Why would our God show us such astounding kindness? It's not because of our goodness, but because of his goodness. Our God shows us this kindness that we could ask and receive and seek and find and knock and be welcomed in. He shows us that kindness not because of our goodness, but because of his goodness. So he goes on, and he, he explains the goodness of God by comparing his goodness to our own, verses 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? So, so Jesus is, what he's doing there is he's describing some, a pretty ridiculous image, right? He's describing a father who's saying like, hey, come here, buddy, you want, you want some bread? And he gives him a rock. And the kid bites it and breaks all his teeth off. Like, man, that would be a really mean father. Uh, we wouldn't want him to be, we wouldn't want to be friends with him. He wouldn't be trustworthy. So he continues, if you then, Jesus says, who are evil, we'll come back to that, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus is painting a contrast here between you, and who are you? You who are evil, and your Father. And who is the Father? The Father who is in heaven. There's a contrast here. You who are evil, and your Father in heaven. And now we can't just gloss over the fact that Jesus just kind of like with a broad stroke says, yeah, all of you are evil. Uh, that would be a good sermon, right? If I came here next week and said, you are all evil, amen, let's go home. I don't, uh, I won't do that. Um, but, but what does Jesus mean when he says, you who are evil? Evil has been a part of this world almost since the beginning. The world that God created was perfectly free of all evil. There was no evil. There was no sin. And as a result, there was never any suffering. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. They sinned against him. They chose to walk in their own ways instead of in God's ways. And as a result, they were separated from him. And the sin of Adam has drastic consequences on our lives today. But people throughout the ages have disagreed on what exactly those consequences are. So what is humanity's biggest problem? Some people say it's evil examples. That Adam is the archetype of unbelief and that we would be really great if we would just stop living like Adam and start living like Jesus. And that's certainly true. Adam is a pretty horrendous example. And our life would be a lot better if we stopped living like Adam and started living like Christ. But that is not humanity's biggest problem. Humanity's problem is not merely evil examples. So some people say that humanity's biggest problem is evil choices. It's not just that there's evil around us, but that we do evil. And that we follow after Adam. But we're not totally corrupted, some people say. We're, we're 
broken on the inside, but not totally broken. And so this comes with attractive sounding slogans like choose the good or be the kindness you wish to see in the world as if mankind's only problem is evil choices. And while we all do make a lot of evil choices where we consider ourselves more valuable and precious than other people, evil choices are also not humanity's biggest problem. Some people say evil examples are humanity's biggest problem. Some people say evil choices are humanity's biggest problem. But Jesus says that evil hearts are humanity's different problems. Christ described humanity as evil in Matthew 7:11 here and also in Luke 11:13. Sick, Matthew chapter 9 verses 12 through 13. Unworthy in Matthew chapter 8, 8 through 10. Blind, Matthew 7, 3 through 5, earlier last week. Adulterous, Matthew 16, verse 4. Faithless, Matthew 17, verse 17. And enslaved to sin in John chapter 8, verse 34. So our biggest problem, friends, according to Jesus, is not merely evil examples or evil choices, but evil hearts. Our biggest problem is not that there's brokenness in the world, but that there's brokenness inside of us. And so some people have called this the doctrine of total depravity. And the doctrine of total depravity does not mean that you are as wicked as you could possibly be, but rather that every aspect of your human nature was so totally corrupted by the sin of Adam, that you have absolutely no hope to please God apart from redemption in Christ. So Jesus' view of us is that we have evil hearts. And out of our evil hearts, we do evil things. And out of our evil hearts, we follow after evil examples. Jesus looks at you and you says, you who are evil. And how do these evil people treat one another, according to Jesus, with kindness? So there's these evil fathers, and when their sons come to them and ask for bread, he doesn't give them a rock. He gives them bread. And when he comes to them, when, when these children come to their evil fathers and ask for a fish, he doesn't give them a snake, he gives them fish. He's not giving them things that will steal their life. He's giving them life-giving things. And it's, a kind of, it's kind of a silly image, isn't it? Because we can't imagine a father would ever be like, hey, kid, you want a jelly bean? And then give him a bunch of pebbles. So it's kind of a ridiculous image, but that's the point. Jesus is giving such an over-the-top image that you would say, well, yeah, of course not. Of course that's not how good fathers are. He's making a lesser to greater argument. If these evil fathers are like this, of course God's not going to be like that. Of course God is going to be good. 
So if these fathers who are evil can give good gifts, then certainly you can trust God. And how much more? Verse verse 11, he doesn't just say, so your fathers give good things. Sure, God will give good things as well. But he actually takes it to the next level. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So if fathers with evil hearts are able to extend kindness, how much more can we expect kindness from our God who has no evil whatsoever inside of him? Do you see how trustworthy our God is, friends? You can always depend upon him. He will always be kind to you. And yet often we doubt the goodness of God and we doubt the kindness of God. As I thought about this passage, three, three lies came to my mind that we're so tempted to believe about the kindness of God. Three myths about the kindness of God. One is that he has given up on you. So many of us walk through this life thinking that our God has given up on us. As if we've broken the last straw and there's nothing left for us to do. And he might have good reason to, right? You who are evil, our God might have good reason to give up on us. And that's why it's so easy to believe. And maybe that's why Christ says it six times over. Ask, receive. Seek, find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Christ began the Sermon on the Mount by describing his disciples as those who are poor in spirit, the people who have nothing good to offer God. And it's to those same people, the people who have nothing good to offer God, the people who God sees with perfect clarity and says, you who are evil, it's to those people that Christ invites to come in. It's to those people that Christ says, ask, and it is yours. Seek God and you will find him. Friends, God has not given up on you. You have his word right here. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. God is not hiding from you, friends. He is not scared off by your brokenness. He is not scared off by your sin. So you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to hide anymore. He invites you to come to him. So the lie that we're so tempted to believe is that God has given up on you. And the truth is that, yes, your sin is massive and your sin is pervasive and your sin has infected so much of your life and everyone around you. And yet our God is merciful and he doesn't just ignore your sin. He paid for it in the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Because Jesus is the only human who ever lived who did not have an evil heart. And he never made evil choices and he never followed evil examples. He always only followed God. He always did kindness. He always chose the good. And at the end of his life, he was crucified. Not for his sins, because he didn't have any, but for our sins. And three days later, because he had no crimes to his account, there was absolutely no charge that death could hold against him to hold him in the grave. And so three days later, he gloriously and miraculously rose from the dead, and he's still alive today, friends. 
Jesus died for your sins and God rose him from the dead as a seal to prove to you that your sins really are forgiven. Not even the death of Jesus could be held against you because Christ is not in the grave anymore. So friends, your sins have been paid for. How do we ever presume to think that our God could have given up on us? Your sins have been paid for. How could you ever presume to think that your God has given up on you? It's easy to believe that God has given up on you. And it's easy to believe that God is stingy. Many people believe that God actually doesn't want to bless us. But maybe if we try hard enough, we can twist his arm and trick him into blessing us or earning his blessings. And so often we do religious activities or good deeds out of guilt. Or, or we, we live in this constant cosmic accounting of wondering if our good outweighs our bad. But friends, we could never earn God's goodness. We could never earn God's kindness because we're evil. And that's the point. That's the point because, friends, our God is not stingy. He is incredibly generous. He loves to give good gifts. And we know in our heads that salvation is by grace alone. But we are so tempted to believe that when we sin, God doesn't actually hear us. And yet our God is so kind. And he says to those who are poor in spirit, ask and you will receive. God says to you today, friends, I'm not running from you. Seek and you will find. God is the absolute worst at hide and seek. Because no matter how long you count, he's not going anywhere, friends. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never abandon you, no matter how broken you are. Often we, we act as if we need to clean up our act before we can come to him. And friends, let me just tell you, if you're thinking that today, I need to clean up my act so that I can come to God. I need to clean up my act so that I can really pray. Friends, that is a lie, and honestly, it's stupid to believe that. It's just stupid. That's like saying, man, I really have to kick this virus before I take antibiotics. It doesn't make any sense. God is not saying to you, come and clean yourself up, and then you can be with me. Earn your way into my presence. That's not what God's saying. He's saying to you, come, I want to heal you. I want to show mercy to you. I want to be kind to you. We believe that God is stingy and we have to clean ourselves up. But friends, he is incredibly generous. Look again at verse 11. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's gloriously kind. Some of you are offended that I use the word stupid. I'm sorry. That's fine. We'll move on. Third myth about the kindness of God. He is tricky. He is tricky. Some of us believe that God is tricky. We believe that when we ask him for bread, he's going to give us a stone. Or when we ask him for a fish, he's going to give us a snake that bites us and poisons us and kills us. We doubt that God's commands are actually good for us. 
And that's, why, that's often why we sin, right? That's why Adam and Eve sinned. Satan came to them and said, you won't surely die if you disobey God. It'll be good for you. You'll enjoy it. It'll be better. And that's why we sin today, because we believe that same lie. We believe that God is tricky, and he's trying to rob us of joy. But friends, he is not. He is infinitely kind. He is not trying to give you a stone. He's giving you bread. He's giving you life. He's giving you peace. This is why we sin. Because we believe that there's life to be found outside of God's design. This is why we get angry. Because we believe the only way to really be happy is to place ourselves on the throne. But only God deserves to be on the throne. So we get angry trying to kick everyone else out of the way, make ourselves in charge, force our own will on other people. And that's not where joy is found. Joy is found in humbly preferring one another. This is why so many people today are addicted to pornography. Because we believe that there's joy and life to be found outside of God's design for marriage and sex. It's a lie. And in reality, it will kill us. God is not trying to withhold anything good from you. He's trying to withhold things that will harm you. God's not trying to give you a snake. He's trying to beat the snake away from you. Because those things are bad for you. So we believe the lie that God is tricky, and yet he really is kind and straightforward and accessible. Ask and receive. You might read that verse and say, like, man, like, if that's true, that's too good to be true. And it, it really is that good, man. It really is that good. It really is that good. God really is that kind. And all of this kindness is shown to us in the risen Christ who paid for your sins and rose again. And who right now is interceding before the Father for you. So if, if God were to just listen to your prayers unfiltered, then, then we would all be obliterated because we have no right to come before the holy God. But Christ is interceding for us. He's sitting on the Father's right hand. And so every time we pray, he says, listen to that prayer, Father, because that one is washed in my blood. That one is raised to life with me. Ask and receive. Friends, these myths... These lies about God's kindness are so easy to believe and they're so prevalent in our culture, which just as a side note is one of the reasons it's so important that we gather every week to hear the truth about God, that he's not like that. He really is kind. So friends, why would we ever neglect prayer? Why would we ever neglect prayer? In my, in my professional work, when, when I'm meeting with someone and trying to make a sale, if success is sure, I'm really going to prioritize that meeting because I know it's going to bear fruit. And if I'm not sure about somebody, they're not really interested, I'm not going to give them too much of my time. I'm not going to spin my wheels for no reason. Friends, success is guaranteed to you. Prayer is not spinning your wheels because God has promised to hear your requests. 
God is guaranteed success. When you seek him, you will find him. So don't neglect prayer. Don't neglect prayer. And we come to God in faith, relying on him, not relying on ourselves. So we know God's kindness. And point number two, we show God's kindness. We experience the kindness of God in Christ, and then we pass it on to others. Verse 12, Jesus says, So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is one of the most famous sayings in all of history. Some of us are finding out for the first time, like, oh man, Jesus said that? That's pretty cool. Like, I've heard that all over the place. Like, you see that, like, I read, one of the commentaries I read said that he saw that on the DMV, treat other drivers how you want to be treated. We see that everywhere, and we're like, man, Jesus said that? He really is smart. You can trust him. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It's called the golden rule. I I read earlier this week that 92% of Americans say that the golden rule is either necessary or very necessary for their personal life. I don't know what the other 8% are. Those people are like really not kind. Um, And and the rule is pretty simple, right? That's why why this this rule, this this proverb has persisted through the ages Because it's so simple, just simply show the kindness that you hope to receive. But why should we do that? Some of us do that for really bad reasons, right? We we show kindness to other people to put them in our debt. We think like, okay, like if I serve him, like he's going to serve me later. I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. Uh, That's a bad reason to serve other people. Give to get, that's not giving at all. Or some of us, even more twisted, we show kindness to others, not to put them in our debt, but to put the universe in our debt, whatever that means. We we believe things like what goes around comes around. But Christ gives us a better reason. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the law and the prophets. In Jesus' day, the phrase the law and the prophets, or the law and the prophets and the writings is another way to say it. It's just a shorthand for all of Scripture, for all of the Old Testament, for all of Jesus' Bible. And so the Bible reveals to us the story of God dealing with his people. And Christ consistently says that the unifying principle is to show kindness to others. So why should you be kind? Because this is what God requires of his people. This also summarizes the main body of the Sermon on the Mount. So think back to when you were in college and you had to write essays, or high school, and you had to write essays. Your essay would have an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. And this section of the Sermon on the Mount that we're reading today is actually the end of the body of the Sermon on the Mount. And how did the body begin? Flip a few pages earlier to Matthew 5.17. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus begins the main body of his most famous 
teaching with this saying about this, the law and the prophets. And he ends the body here at the end by talking about the law and the prophets. He's creating some bookends. And I think one of the reasons he's doing that is to show that really if you want to obey all of the commands that he's given you in the Sermon on the Mount, you could just show kindness to others. So why should you be kind? Because this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. We've said almost every week in this sermon series that we're reading the Sermon on the Mount, and if you want to know what a follower of Jesus' life is really supposed to look like, read the Sermon on the Mount. And what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it really look like? It looks like being kind. But also, friends, this saying of the law and the prophets and these bookends show us that Christ is the supreme lover of neighbor. Look again at 517. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I, Jesus said, have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So who fulfills the law and the prophets? It's Christ. Christ fulfills the law and the prophets. So all of the kindness of God from verses 7 through 11 has been purchased for you by Christ. Christ is the reason that if you ask, you will receive. Christ is the reason that if you seek, you will find. Christ is the reason that if you knock, the door will be opened to you. So why should you be kind? Because Christ has been kind to you. Friends, God is not withholding anything good from you. And he's inviting you to not withhold anything good from others. We mentioned earlier about three myths about God's kindness. And maybe the reason that those lies are so easy to believe is because that's how we live. Maybe it's so easy to believe that God has given up on us because we are so quick to give up on others. So friends, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Do you extend the kindness of forgiveness to others since you have been so radically forgiven by Christ? Maybe it's so easy to believe that God is stingy because we ourselves are stingy. But friends, God is quick to give by grace, not because we've earned it. Are you quick to give? Or are you exacting and only give when it's convenient? Or when the promised reward is good enough? Or when people have earned your help? Maybe it's so easy to believe that God is tricky because we ourselves are tricky. And we are quick to serve other people, but we expect a lot in return. Or maybe we only prefer to serve our friends, the people who have already served us well. Or maybe we only prefer to serve others when there's something good in it for us. You see how we reshape God in our own image? Oh, but friends, God is not like us. And the, the God who looks at you and says, you who are evil, shows unbounded kindness to you, friends. You cannot earn his forgiveness. You cannot earn his kindness, but you don't have to. It's freely given to you. 
So know the kindness of Christ that sets us free to live in kindness. I'm going to invite the music team to come back up as we close out our time together. And while they're coming up, I just want to invite you to show the kindness of God to other people if you are a believer. And for some of you, I want to invite you and challenge you to experience the kindness of God for the first time in Christ. To come by faith to Christ. To believe and admit that we are evil and that we have nothing good to offer God but that God has set his kindness upon us. God has shown us his love. God has shown us his mercy. And we can receive that through faith in Christ alone. If you want to learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I'll be in the back of the room along with a few others. And so if you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, please come back and uh, let's just pray together during the last song. And we can talk together about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to trust in the God who has been infinitely kind to us. Let's pray together. Being so merciful to us. God, I pray that you would help us to follow you and show your mercy and show your kindness to others. God, you have fulfilled the law and the prophets in your son. And I pray that we would trust in him alone and that we would show his kindness in BC and to the ends of the earth. It's for your name we pray. Amen.